Let's Talk HR is a place for HR professionals, business owners, and employees to come together and share experiences, talk about what's working and what's not, how we can improve best practices so that companies can better attract, train, and retain all generations of workers. We all know that there has been a huge shift in what people want. Generations are coming together more than ever on what's important. Mental health has been brought to the forefront of everyone's mind. Let's humanize these conversations. Let's talk about how the economy has been impacted and what needs to happen to find a balance. I'm your host, Leon Lovely. So let's get this conversation started. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, follow us, like us, and share us. I'm excited to have a great conversation with Michael Brown. He is an attorney who spends his time working with employees for employees' rights, contracts, and and severance rights, as well as shareholders. This should prove to be an interesting conversation, so please join me. Michael Brown is the founding attorney of DVG Law Partners. Michael's legal practice focuses on employee rights, contract and severance rights, and shareholder rights. He helps clients with negotiations and, when necessary, litigation. Michael has been recognized as a rising star in the Super Lawyers publication and has a superb rating from AVO. With Michael's assistance, many clients have achieved highly successful legal and financial outcomes. Michael likes to spend his free time with his wife and three children. Together they enjoy travel, recreation, great Mexican food at certain favorite places, and chasing their dog, whose name is Justice. Welcome, Michael. I am so excited to have you here today with me to, um, you know, talk with me. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So why don't we start off with, you know, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and and the law that you practice, you know, what area that, that you're in? Sure. Uh, well, currently my law firm, which is a solo practice, I work with other attorneys so often um, from other law firms and so on. But my, my current legal practice mostly involves employee rights um, or shareholder type of rights. Um, most of my clients are individuals, you know, who are in the employment or the business context. Then they had a stronger, wealthier opponent, however you want to look at it, you know, do something, whether it was terminate their job and offer them a severance arrangement. Or in the case of like a minority shareholder, there could be a group of majority shareholders who kind of gang up on the minority shareholder because they have more voting shares. And then sometimes that person's an employee as well. So it can be employment law issues as well as business or contract law issues and so on. But generally I represent individuals for the most part who had in disputes, you know, whether it's in court, which I do a lot of court work and work in different uh, legal forums, you know, like EEOC or equal rights division, like uh, agencies that enforce certain types of employment laws. But I do work in litigation, those different forums. And then I also do work in negotiations to try to help parties reach a settlement. And that that sometimes occurs, I mean, a lot of times it occurs without litigation or before any litigation is necessary, but then cases in litigation are usually settled on, on average it, if they don't lose. And then a lot of cases, um, the opponent tries to win the case and they fail and then they're open to settlement at a later point and so on. But yeah, that's most of the work I do now is for individuals and disputes of those types. Um, I also represent small businesses sometimes, um, 
with uh, like you know, breach of contract issues or uh, you know the common denominator is usually in my cases is usually a larger opponent. You know, if, if I'm representing a company, it's usually against a larger company or organization, and my client is usually the plaintiff for the one you know that had a financial loss or had something they allege was wrong, you know, like a job termination that was unlawful or whatever it is, a breach contract by the other side. They had something that happened to them that they allege is legally wrong. And I, I agree with them um, and that they lost money, you know, usually a significant amount of money. In the case of job loss, obviously you lose your income. And so a lot of the employment law, you know, uh, recovery or potential awards or relief from the legal process involves paying someone for what they lost and lost income, you know, as a result of being improperly fired. Um, but then, you know, in the business context, you know, it could be recovery of money relating to profits or, um, you know, represent shareholders, you know, that were deprived of like dividends and employees who like, you know, had a big sale, a salesperson, and then the employer said, oh, well, and now that you, you've made that sale, we don't want to pay you according to our commission formula and you're fired, by the way, you know, like that actually happens, you know? It, so, um, wow. Yeah. It, that, I mean, does that happen frequently or is that kind of like a random every once in five years? I can't, <laughs> I'm a salesperson. Oh, like, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's hard for me to say if it's frequent because I, you know, I, I only get the people calling me that had something bad happen. Right. You know, so I, I, yeah. I to the whole industry, but I'll definitely say it's not uncommon. Oh you know, if there's God. a financial motivation for an employer to save a lot of money. Right. And, and then also if they have, they just don't like the worker or if there's an issue of discrimination, mm -hmm. they have a problem with the worker's age or race or whatever, like there are a lot of different types of conflicts. And so some are more common than other others in my world. But yeah, it's, I'd say it's not uncommon for the, I, I mean, a lot of people are shorted wages in a lot of different ways that mm -hmm. I think are on the level. The kind of situation where if a salesman, like I had one salesman client that earned, he had, he had a 1% commission on revenue, but he had a hundred million dollar sale. So he earned like over a million dollars he earned, you know, according to his commission formula, he worked with this employer for over like 15 years. And, oh my God. You know, but at the point he did that, the, the employer's like, whoa, a million dollars, a lot of money. And they tried to uh, press him to take far less, which he refused. And then they fired him. And then he wound up having to retain me after he tried with a business lawyer for a while to work things out and couldn't and so on and so forth. But I mean, there, there are all these disputes that kind of morph out of human drama and a lot of mm -hmm. human drama. Someone doesn't want to pay someone something else. That they, that, you know. well, and you, you would think that, you know, the business look at how much money the business is making. I mean, come on, pay your employee right. what they're, what they, but you're right. Uh, and, you know, it, it saddens me that, you know, one, I'm sure you love what you do. Obviously you wouldn't do what you do if you didn't love what you do, but you also are seeing, I guess, kind of the thieves of the world. You're seeing the, the negative side of society. You're seeing where people are coming to you because they're like, yeah, I've been wronged in some way or allegedly, do I need to say, <laughs> right? Well, that's fine. I, said it fine. I mean, yeah, they, they're, they're coming to you because you're, so you're, you're really seeing the world from, I guess, Hey, I've, I've been wronged. Help me write this situation, which is, I suppose the great side of your job is you get to help people write what has been wrong, but you're also seeing really that side of the society, which is, there are businesses or there are people or there are whatever it might be that 
do try to get away with this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's kind of, I'm sure the downturn, the upside of your job is that I'm, when you have your great successes and you're like, yep, I made this right for this person and they walk away extremely grateful to you for being able to write that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all true. Yeah. You know, kind of a related thing that I enjoy with my legal practice is because I'm, you know, I have my own business, I'm my own boss and I work for law firms as well as some large companies like along the way in my legal career. But what, you know, the main reason I started my own firm had more to deal with just uh, uh, practice expense and stuff. Like I worked with a really nice, good group of lawyers who I still work cases with from time to time and really like them as people and lawyers and so on. But the, like, it was just more, co- much more cost effective for me because I didn't need a lot of things that certain other lawyers need, need truly for their practice area and, and splitting those costs and so on. As someone that can like choose my own clients, like I'm not forced to represent a corporation or forced by a law firm to work for this long-term business client they have that I personally don't like or think is wrong or what. Like, I, I'm fortunate that I can choose my clients and only work for people who I believe are right, you know, legally and factually. Mm-hmm. Um, although that's not hundred percent, you know, like there are always times where evidence comes up to surprise me. Oh, I wasn't right about that or so on. But, you know, generally speaking, if I think someone's credible after initially talking over their situation, reviewing their documents and so on, it, usually at the end of the representation, there's no change in that, you know, like, it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I try to represent people I think are credible and all that. But with what, so while I'm mindful of like ways that I think workers or, you know, business people, so on, are legitimately hurt by the practices of large corporations or government employers, so on, like large organizations. And I'm really attuned to, and I, I'll admit I'm biased against large corporations and so on because of all of the experiences I have. Right. However, <laughs> a big part of being a lawyer is you're, you're there for this whole process and you're also dealing with opposing parties all the time. So you come to realize that there are people too, you know, just because people do bad things, acts, you know, or fire someone right in the middle of a surgery leave or something. It's like, wow, that lacks compassion. Like, you know, you really want to cut this person off with income and they work for yourself. And like these things that like, I really want to be judge, you know, and that's my job requires me to mm-hmm. judge, predict what a real judge would say, you know, right. over the issue, um, and litigate and all that. But um, even with all that said, when I truly believe the evidence shows that the other side was wrong and so on, in dealing with them, you recognize plenty of good things, plenty of things they do right, you know, how they're, you know, people with right, good and bad things they, they've done in the, in the full scope. But yeah, when you're in my practice area, and if you, you know, if you talk to attorneys that work in individual rights, they're probably going to focus more on like how people get disadvantaged, you know, by the large companies and corporations and a lot of factors involved with that. And also as a lawyer on that side of the fence, so to speak, for the little guy, um, you you find yourself talking about that stuff in part because of there's a lot of misinformation out there from the corporate side. There's all this, it, it, what it is is propaganda, but they call it public relations. So there's these, it's a multi-billion dollar industry of these think tanks and media conduits they have and so on that intentionally perpetuate these motions. Like people looking to bring lawsuits are looking to win the lottery and they're overwhelming the courts with frivolous lawsuits and so on and so forth. And lawyers and individual rights practice are, are just like, no, <laughs> that's not how the world is operating. Right. And even if, 
think in terms of common sense, like lawyers don't take frivolous cases because mm -hmm. they're going to lose. And a lot of us are paid most of our income on contingency basis where we only pay it if the case settles, which means there's merit to it, you know, if anything significant is paid or if it wins. So we don't want to take frivolous cases or bring them to courts. And as a result, there aren't a lot of, at least in the courts. But when I try to be objective and I look from the employer or company standpoint, there are certain types of legal processes like discrimination complaints, for example, where it's very easy for a worker who's wronged to, or, or who truly believes they're wrong for good reason. You know, they, they got fired and that, that hurts. That, that's a big consequence. And then they might call me and point out to things. I think, yeah, those are legitimately wrong things and you can prove them and so on. But it's only a certain subset of wrong things are actually discriminatory. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that were wronged in some way file the wrong type of complaint where maybe a different legal complaint is more appropriate or no legal complaint could you know, fix the situation. Like there's no law violated, it was just a wrong thing and common, you know, common sense sort of wrong or, uh, right. but, but anyway, like it, those types of complaints where people can file them on their own, I can sympathize with employers in some cases because a lot of those people, if they talked to me, I would have said, no, this isn't a good case for a discrimination complaint for one reason or another. So I don't, you know, I don't want to say there's like no, like if, or if there's a small business employer and they happen to fire like one worker ever, and it was a bad employee. And it turns out that one worker filed a discrimination case that wound up lasting three years and costing the employer, you know, $36,000 in corporate defense legal fees. I, I couldn't say, you know, who am I to say they're wrong or whatever without looking at that or that their belief sets, you know, don't make sense. But as far as like the public systemic information about the state of legal affairs and the law system, it's a complete whitewash from my perspective. Like corporations and large organizations dominate. They have more money. They have more access mm -hmm. to lawyers. They have more, you know, help. And uh, they, they played the game. They fired <laughs> a lot right. of large companies. Fired thousands of people, so they they know how to document things. If they have an unlawful motive, they know how to hide it. They play games with withholding documents and information in the legal process, discovery as it's called. You know, so there, there's all sorts of systemic things. I'm very confident in saying a lot of large companies do wrong, um, and, but I, I try to unload everyone I talk to about that stuff. Right. My well, clients just want to solve their problem, you know? And, and it's, it, there are cases and, and you know, you, you read about these, there are, there are a lot of cases where you have, it's the human factor. There, there are certain situations where you have somebody who is undertrained in their position and they don't know any better. They make a mistake. They, they just don't know any better. You see this a lot in undertrained recruiters. When they are asking questions they shouldn't be asking when in, during like a hiring process. You know, I hear about this all the time. They ask simple questions like, well, do you have children? Because they, they are trying to get to know somebody. Well, you, you can't during an interview you you can't ask that <laughs> you know and I again somebody could turn around and go well they didn't hire me but you know during the interview process they did ask me if I had children they discriminated against me because they didn't hire me they found out that I have kids and, and that's the reason that they didn't hire it sometimes it's about the person not being educated enough and making a mistake in a certain simple thing other times it is a blatant like we're going to do this we're going to cover it up we're going to you know some of the small companies out there they're not educated enough and they they make the mistake of we're going to terminate this person and 
sometimes the person firing them has no idea that somebody else in the company is aware that this person may have disclosed something about their background that would make them a protected class. Right. And all of a sudden that person goes, well, I, I just disclosed this information about myself and now they're firing me. Wait a second, that they just discriminated again. There's so many things. And, and again, yeah, you're you're on that side of weeding through. Is this a frivolous case? Is there merit to this? And but you're right, the large, the huge companies out there who have been at it forever and know exactly what to do, how to do it properly, how to not put something in an employee file because they know if they do, that's going to, and again, I've been in the HR and, you know, I've been in HR one way or another for over 17 years. I was taught early on, here's what you don't document. Here's what you do not write down. Here's what Mm -hmm. you do write down. And it's like, wow, these are, these are blatant things that the company is explaining, hey, you can't put this in the file because if we ever get sued, that's going to be a problem. And it's like you're covering your butt from the very beginning just in case this employer ever comes after you for anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's all true. Although I guess what I would say too on that point of not documenting things, like you're absolutely right. And I think the best way to you know, like if you're in, like if you're working in HR and you're in that specific context, you know, the worker they're talking about, you know what they're telling you not to document, you, you can more readily tell, you know, if it's kind of a devious thing versus what I'm about to talk about. But sometimes I'll just see, like, sometimes I give clients advice not to document things, but it's not, but it's like, I'll say, don't, email anybody other than me about your legal case mm-hmm. but it's not because oh you're going to tell lies and that, but it's more that anything you email the other the opposing party can get so it makes life a lot simpler you know if you just don't email anything that you don't need to you right. know or and and a lot of times just people want to vent to people that it doesn't really help them and all it does is create risk you know through gossip and getting right. back to the employer or whatever um, but yeah you're right like there, there are definitely tried and true methods, you know, that employers use, you know, uh, like administration wise in house, and then also in the legal system, just common games mm-hmm. during depositions, common games that opposing company lawyers play and so on. And those things are systemic and they come up over and over and over again from my standpoint. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's frustrating if I let it be, <laughs> uh, but, um, but, you know, you, you just have to deal with it. Um, try to respond you know, the best you can. Right. And and, and it's also, it, it, it is, it truly comes down to, to, you know, we are living in a, in a technology world. Anything, absolutely anything that you put on your computer, you put, can be found. <laughs> Once it hits the web, it, it exists and it can't go away. I mean, it's just, it's a simple fact. So, if you want to say something, you want to just go vent and, and get something off your chest, don't email it. <laughs> right. Have a have a face-to-face conversation with somebody. Yeah. And trust me, there are plenty of times where I'm like, I need to go and vent. I sit down. My dad is my go-to person. My husband is my go-to person. You know, and that's a, okay, I, I've got it off my chest. I've said everything I need to say. I'm over it. But I sure as hell am not going to email along hey, I need to get this off my chest because God forbid I say something that in 10 years haunts me. And they're like, did you know that she? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, these are interesting issues for sure. It reminded me when I was in law school, which is over 20 years ago, but I had a criminal law professor, like I went to UW Madison, and it's a you know so-called progressive or liberal environment. They call like I, I'm independent politically. I don't think what they called liberal back then is, and they call liberal right now are remotely the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, but but um but anyway, like Madison is what people would call like a democratic, you know, pro individual in their mind, you know, institution that teaches you know quote unquote liberal and progressive values to help people, and so, which I, I'd argue is probably not the case on the whole nowadays. But but anyway that's the reputation and so on. And at the time I went to school it was much more that way than now. And the, the law professor I had, however, despite this liberal background, he went to Madison and so on. His, his job, like his main job in the, in the private sector was he was the head of Wisconsin's prison system, which is kind of the most institutional job you can imagine, you know, so in contrast to the progressive stuff. But he said something I thought was super interesting to the class, his big cl class, huge lectures, hall of students, including me. And he, he said, how many of us have committed felonies? And we all kind of thought we were thinking, oh, oh, God. we don't want to admit it or whatever, but he said, all of us. And I was like, whoa. But then I gave it thought and it was like, well, there are so many felonies and so many laws I haven't thought like. Right. The felony, like if you're 16 years old and you knock over a mailbox, which I've done to my great embarrassment, you know, but like, right. but you know, if, if you really give it thought and so on, like we all have done wrong and violated some law or another, mm -hmm. but you know, at this point was made greater by like mentioning the word felony. But so while most of us haven't, you know, committed murder or kidnapped or done some of the so-called horrible things that popped to mind first with felonies, right? you give it further thoughts, like we all have some degree of guilt. And so like having that humility, at least in the back of your mind throughout any type of conflict, definitely mm -hmm. help. You know, you um, know, it's so interesting that you say that because I was I was actually at a networking event and there was the the presenter was an attorney um, and on the criminal side. And she stands up and she started presenting. And the first thing that she says is, how many of you in this room have an OWI or a DUI? And she go and and of course, nobody in the room raised their hand like you're sitting in a room of professionals and you're like, well, I'm and she goes. Um, you're sitting at a table and these are tables of four. She goes, you're sitting at a table with somebody who does. And we're all like, really? <laughs> we are like, well, yeah. nobody's yeah. going to admit it. Now, how many people in this room have driven drunk? And we're mm. just like, well, holy shit, probably everybody. Now, if you consider what the legal limit for drunk is, I mean, it's like, it, it's, it's very low now. Did I know at the time that I was intoxicated when I drove? Uh, do I did I know that my my alcohol levels would have if I would have blown that they would have been right at that threshold? I, I don't know. Should I have been? No, I absolutely. I'm, this is not about you know. Gee, you can have a couple beer. I'm not. That's absolutely. I'm not advocating. But the point being is that the same. It's the same premise. Is that you know you you have to really realize what, you know, it, you can't sit there and point a finger at somebody and go, oh, how dare you break the law? I, I mean, it, it's a reality that each and every one of us at one point in our lives have broken the law, especially living in the state of Wisconsin, where in college, majority of the college students, not everybody, partook in some type of excess of drinking or, you know, We've all walked into right. a store, stolen a pack of gum or 
whatever it might be, somebody at some, you've broken the law. Right. You use the felony example, but you know, you're sitting in a network. Nobody's going to admit it openly, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's, and so we need to stop pointing our fingers at people and go, yeah, we are only human and we make human mistakes, which is no. So this leads me into my next question. So, you know, this is obviously a very interesting, um, it's a very, for me, uh, me, I'm a geek, I'm an HR geek, I'm a, you know, employee right geek, I'm all, how did you determine and choose the area of law that you decided to go into? And, and. I can imagine, or maybe not, maybe it's just new tricks, you know, old dog, new tricks kind of thing. Well, that doesn't make sense. Anyways, you know, how did you choose the area of law? And has it changed over the last five, ten years with the way that companies have treated employees, the the, the different things that people come to you for and, and need? Yeah, remind me of that second question about things <laughs> because the first one probably might take like a little bit longer to answer. But like, because I, as far as choosing my area law, I feel like I didn't entirely choose it because it was like a, a responsive thing. You know, like I saw a job opening and it was for an employment law firm. And I don't know anything about it or ever think really of practicing employment law or employee rights. You know, so so I, it found uh, you. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I had interest in it to apply, you know, I thought, oh, this could be interesting. But um, like at early in my legal career, I actually started out at a law school doing privacy law stuff. It was right at the time that this HIPAA law was going into effect. So there's all sorts of compliance work that needed to be done and so on. So I law clerk for the UW hospital. And then my first legal job was working for uh, affiliate of the UW hospital, like a, this clinical affiliate entity. And they wound up merging with another uh, affiliate. So I lost my job. Some other people did too as part of that. Then I went to the corporation at that time called Cobalt, which was a Blue Cross Blue Shield. And, um, and, uh, but, but anyway, like that corporation, I got laid off as well after several years when, when they had a merger. And then, um, so, you know, me and other people were looking for work at that time too. And then looking at the jobs, I, you know, I can say, I guess I picked employment law because I had offer, like I had an offer to work for another corporation that would have been kind of comparable. And then there are other types of law firms, a couple other law firms where I had offers in different practice areas, um, including, I'll tell a really quick story, the criminal law lawyer, because it goes back to what you were mentioning, but one criminal lawyer I interviewed with, he's an interesting guy to talk to. And he's, he said, um, he said, yeah, people always approach me and say like at cocktail parties and they say, how can you represent guilty people? Or at least some of your clients, you know, are guilty. How can you do that? And then he goes, those same people wind up calling me later because they need me to represent them or their family member, you know? Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, it kind of goes back to your point. Like everyone has something you're guilty for, you know, at some point, whether or not you're caught or, or whatever, but a big part of it is just owning up to it. And that can be hard and consequential, you know, with penalties and so on. But also it, it's, I think the bigger relevance of that is the humility standpoint that our culture just does not promote humility whatsoever. It's all about political infighting. I'm right, you're wrong, you fail, you know, let's roast this person, laugh. So, so it's like all this stuff is geared towards this one loss mentality and not towards introspection in my opinion, you know, or like looking at one's own faults or humility or forgiveness or a bunch of, you know, like not to get into my religion stuff, but you know, I'm, my view, I'm a Christian, and my view of that is like internal stuff. Yet even in the Christian institutions, like 
it seems like there's too much external force. You, you, judge you, judge you, you're the sinner. You're, and it's like, whoa, whoa, that's not what I get out of, out of this. But still I fall victim to kind of saying it in outside the religious context, any context like culturally at these large institutions I feel are like promoting, busting others and not introspecting, not forgiving, not being humble. And, and, and I think that really matters because if that attitude is kind of set in those bad ways, it's, it's mm-hmm. it kind of sabotage everything for everybody. But all that stuff aside, when I, I was applying for the jobs, you know, I, I went, I wound up taking a job with this employment law firm because I thought it might be interesting. And that law, they're, they're good and bad things like about that law firm environment, you know, small business environment. And, and then um, I just wound up working a couple of law firms in Milwaukee employee rights. And I like, I really like the practice area. It, 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 in terms of like interest level, it's never boring. You know, it's always human comma, you know, so it's like, you know, I'm not someone that watches soap operas, but it's still, it's like, if something is, you know, sensationalistic or human drama, it's just like human nature. It's more interesting than like reading some dry, you know, legalese thing or, you know, and then just doing a purely unemotional exercise or puzzle solving sort of thing, you know, so it's engaging. And I believe, you know, the clients I represent, even for the most part, even when I work for firms where they might, you know, have certain clients I, I wouldn't have chosen or whatever. Still, generally, I, I identified like I, I felt the clients were on the right, um, and and so that that mattered. You know, like doing something I believe the person was actually right and enjoying the work and finding it interesting and not getting bored and so on. So I mean, that that was all good. And I I, I pretty much stuck with that, and then and I moved on. And and like years of that practice, I didn't look to change areas of law so much at certain times. I looked to you know, to change a law firm environment to like, I moved back to the Fox Valley because my, I was working in Milwaukee for a number of years in Madison before that, but moved back home to the Fox Valley area where my parents are, still are. And my wife has a family that wound up congregating here as well. So just with our kids at very young, our first child at very young age, you know, we moved back here mainly for those reasons. But also the employment law allows you flexibility so I could practice representing clients still from Milwaukee or anywhere in the state. In fact, in other states under federal law. So I, I, I wound up getting involved in like cases, you know, the federal court in California or Washington DC, um, you know, the Department of Labor thing, you know, where there's a, a Washington DC based administrative judge who's presiding over the matter or, you know, wind up traveling here and there for representing clients. But, but most legal work actually is remote, you know, just on your computer and phone and occasionally go to a lot of times for court, you can appear by phone or video, you know, rather than having to travel as well. So, so <clears throat> employment law, you, you can actually practice, is that nationally? I mean, each state? Is that what I'm understanding? Uh, yeah, so there's the federal law that applies nationally, you know, in okay. all states. And so there's federal discrimination law, for example, is a big area of law. Okay. Um, and so like if, some, if an employee is fired because of a disability, issue you know, relating to a disability because that's America, federal yeah america's with disability act and, right. so, so then that person even if they're another state i can represent them um and in fact they're more often than not i can usually represent someone if they want me to you know that's inquiring from a different state um it's usually um but yeah it can get if an issue is primarily state law like contract law is a good example um like if if a, a doctor, you know, has a con- employment contract with the hospital, then that 
one of the parties alleges that contract was breached because the doctor gets fired or, or whatever, doctor pay or something, and they say the, the doctor says the contract's breached. Usually a straight contract law issue like that is usually a state law issue. And in fact, the contracts often say, you know, the state laws of Wisconsin apply and the lawsuit must be brought in a Wisconsin state court or so on. But even by default, like that's the case for certain issues that they're state law specific. Okay. So, you know, it kind of matters the subject matter, um, whether an attorney can step out of state to represent or not. Interesting. So has, have things um, changed, you know, with, because obviously, you know, we had kind of talked a little bit about employers have gotten smarter um, in the way that they do things, but have things changed with, especially now with a lot more employers, or, or I shouldn't say employers, employees being more open over the last year with their mental health, with more employees coming out and talking about, you know, their addiction or, um, you know, so has that had an impact? People coming to you um, with the discrimination or, I mean, has that changed over the last five, 10 years? You know, it's a really good question. It's kind of hard for me to answer because there's, there've been so many things that I, I think have been going on since I, like I first started employee rights practice in 2004. So whatever that, you know, over 15 years. And Mm -hmm. in that time, there've been a number of things that I see as constants that are problematic from like the corporate standpoint and government standpoint, and also like legal system standpoint, like deficiencies and like, personnel with the federal government, for example, it's just some of these agencies, it's just a joke. I mean, it's just like, you'd be amazed as a non-lawyer, like if you first encounter like certain department of labor personnel, you're like, oh my God, like, this person refuses to give me their name on the phone and their oh, government in charge of investigating this case. And they, they tell me they won't tell me their name. And they're supposed to issue a, a decision on this legal decision in writing. And they left it on, they, they, claim they made the decision but left a voice message on my client's phone two years ago like it's just like really mind-blowing stuff where like what you think is the law and what's supposed to happen is very different from the situation you actually deal with with the government employees and so but there's also just a huge problem like overload of cases on investigators desk and just insufficient resources and personnel allocated and that's the stuff that's going on since I started employment, you know, like I'm sure before, but, but it's gotten worse, you know, far worse. And I, and that's part of one of the factors, many factors that drove me to political independence. But like at the time, back in the day, I was a Democrat and, and I thought like democratic, you know, appointees like Obama's appointees and stuff would fix that situation mm-hmm. or better. But over time, like the, their appointees were less and less individual rights or progressive oriented. And I don't even think it's as progressive or Democrat. It's just like, but you know, do they care? Do they have a beating heart about individual rights? Like, will they, will they ever decide a case? Would they ever decide a case in employees' favor? You know, or like feel an employee's wrong? And you actually have some judges and stuff. Not the majority, but you have some. Like Alito for the Supreme Court, like has made a thing during his confirmation process that he had never decided discrimination summary judgment motion uh, in favor of the employees. Like, and those are pretty common motions in federal court. So like, my guess is he might have had hundreds of those types of motions and always decided in favor of the employer. Mm-hmm. And he gave, some, he gave some explanation like, well, the good cases usually settle before they get to that point. And while that's true, like in part, 
it, it definitely is true with some of those cases, but there are all sorts of very, very strong employee rights cases that go to the summary judgment stage where the employer is not offered a dime of settlement. And in fact, some of them are aggressively like bad mouthing you and stuff. So it's like the, the strength of a case is not, the employer never sees the case against them as strong. You know? So it's like Alito's explanation does not explain that circumstance, you know? So, right. so as a, like, as an act politically act interested person, I've had worse and worse disappointment seeing what the Democratic Party in particular has devolved or backtracked to, like, and just everything's getting more and more corporate. Um, you know, and the Republican appointees in my mind were pro, pro corporate too. Uh, so it's it's heavy against the, the work. You know, you have uh, judges that they're, they're in a case of state judges that campaign funds paid by large industries or like companies or industry groups. I mean, that's, that's a legitimate potential conflict of interest, mm -hmm. at least. And I mean, I'd like to think if I was in that situation as a judge, I would be say, look, I got to be honest with myself. Like, I'll feel indebted as a good human being to this company that gave me a lot of money, just as a matter of fairness. Like, I still remember someone like, lent me 20 bucks five years ago, and I forgot to pay him back, you know, so it's like, it's a good thing, in some ways, to like, want to repay but I think it's just a bad dynamic for that whole system. Right. It so it's it's interesting because it seems that it doesn't matter. It's political driven either way is, is what I'm hearing is that even though we as a society are continuing to accept people more and we now have more protected classes, employers are now becoming aware and offering all of these different resources for you know, employees and everything, it doesn't seem to matter because it seems that these issues are still politically driven on decisions regardless of acceptance within the workplace. And it really comes down to the employer. Um, yeah, I, I agree with most of it, what you said. I think um, like individual court decisions, I guess I don't usually observed to be like political per se um, but but I do think that the whole like there are these orientations or mindsets or I ideologies we have and I mean I can speak to like my own side you know at, like starting out on plaintiff's employment practice I was very you know involved with democratic stuff would go to fundraisers contribute you know donations and stuff as an individual you know but like I would you know I would I would do that and try to get Democrats elected and so and, and so on to, to judge positions you know and so mm -hmm. on thinking like yeah this judge is going to be more likely to give individual I didn't think they'd be biased in favor of individuals more like this judge could is not is not necessarily going to side with a big company just because they're you know they have the logo and the name recognition or like they'll actually consider the individual side and stuff without any sort of bias like that's how I like looked at it um, people on the business side might look at it not all you plaintiff lawyers just want judges that are going to decide cases in favor of individual and, and right. no I can't say that that's irrational or whatever but but anyway we all try to look at it our own way what po political person we support mm -hmm. but I think really the reality is that over time the legal system has been more and more like all systems right of governance and so on have been more and more um uh, corporations do better and better. The largest corporations do better and better, whereas the small businesses do worse and worse. And, and so I don't want to lump the small businesses in like this bad behavior I'm talking about. Because no. generally, in my view, it's usually the smaller an organization is, 
you have more accountability, you have less um, leverage and wealth, you know, to hold over people, workers, even if they're, you know, even if it's still unfair and they don't have enough leverage, they still have more than in the large corporate setting mm-hmm. and so on. So I just tend to see like less problems, like or impactful, like society problems coming from small businesses and stuff. But what gets kind of weird like that when I'm in these networking contexts or whatever, sometimes small business owners will look at me like, well, you're just looking to sue us or whatever. That's why I'm thinking, right. like, no, no, like I, I, I know I look like the skunk in the room because I'm the employee rights guy. But like a lot of what I think is most problematic in the world really starts with the ultra rich and the, the mm-hmm. politicians, in my view, that they control and the, the systems of governance that they more than us everyday people influence, you know, mm-hmm. and. And so that's, in my mind, that's kind of like the problems really start up there. If you look back right. as being, you know, and then filtered down to those of us that can't, can't afford those same like kind of riggings of the system or gerrymandering, gerrymandering of the political district or whatever right. system, tricks they can afford to do. Um, yeah. So do you think that, and, you know, my next question, it's, I think that it's kind of become a little bit less relevant because of you know where this conversation has you know kind of gone but do you think a society we have definitely become more inclusive and we've become more open to you know a wide variety of things and so speaking from the employee rights side do you think that employers will will try to be better do you think that there will be an emphasis on training and on understanding of employees rights more now because of what has happened and transpired over the last it's been more than a year I was going to say the last year it's now been you know a year and a half almost two years do you think that that employers are going to try to be better and do better especially some of these larger employees or do you think that they're going to just continue down the same path of let's just continue to do the cover-ups pay the expense to because We've definitely shined a light on the fact that there are a lot of issues within our society that people need more from their employers and they expect more from their employers and they have the ability to leave if they want to. And employers are now under the gun. So do you think that that employers will invest more in being better for their employees and that you'll see, I guess, less employee claims against employers because they need to be better that's a good question and it's i guess it'd be hard for me to answer like the one thing that's pretty new to me and probably all of us is just the change in a number of employers having a shortage of workers Mm -hmm. you know covid phenomenon and that the fact you know that that has been like a significant effect I, I don't know though how that falls on like in my mind it falls more on the smaller employers having shortages and the larger ones, but I but I don't know that it, you know like I haven't researched that empirically. Or, it, uh, it I mean it does. I mean a lot of the smaller the smaller employ the employers are struggling more because they can't afford to pay as much as the larger employers, but the larger employers are struggling. Just you know, they're struggling the same. It, it's across the board. It, it is. For instance, you gave an example. One of the star salespeople sells a, I can't remember what that number was, but it was a huge sale and they were going to make a million dollar in commission and they, you know, let's just let the employee go versus paying that. Well, in today's society, you may not be able to replace that, that employee. You may not be able to replace a star salesperson because 
they just don't exist right now. And other, you know, companies out there are willing to offer uh, small employers not going to be able to pay a million dollar commission. But they're, the trade-off is they're willing to do whatever they can to make that employer hap- that employee happy. So yeah, even the large corporations are under the gun to do better, be better. And I just wonder if that, if, if, and I guess I'm not asking you to foretell the future, but it's an interesting thought to think that employers need to clean up their act. And that doesn't just mean, hey, pay me better. That extends to, hey, if, you, if you're doing some sneaky stuff behind the scenes of treating your employees shitty and firing people because you find out that, you know, he drinks too much at home and he might be an alcoholic, let's get rid of him before he becomes a problem. You know, that's, that's shady stuff. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's a really good issue and question to bring up. It's um, because like, part of me is thinking, well, there are certain individuals that, you know, just are looking to cheat people for lack of a better, and I think it's a minority people and, uh, you know, but just certain individuals, like whether it's an issue over 10 bucks or it's an issue over a million dollar sale commission, which, you know, if a small business salesman gets them a hundred million dollar contract, it's, it is the same issue, you know, but it's like, but then, but then that same issue of greed confronts that small business owner that maybe as a small business, they hadn't had experience with before or whatever. And so maybe they're greedier than they otherwise would have been or whatever. But, but, um, I think like part of me is thinking, well, people that are inclined to kind of like cheat or whatever are probably going to do that or, you know, oppress or take from someone unfairly are probably going to do that or at risk to do that no matter, you know, what environment they're in, whether it's large company or small or what year it is or whatever. But then on the other hand, it's like if with a worker shortage, that leverage is leverage, so to speak. And so if if a worker, it, like a worker, is going to be more valued on average for doing their job if they're doing it satisfactory in that circumstance, than a worker in a situation where they're doing their job well, but there's a, you know, hundreds of job applicants waiting to take his or her job at any point, you know. So, I think the the leverage itself makes a difference. I will say though that as far as the mindset and emotions and ideology, like all that of like wanting to do better for workers. I don't, I think companies only gotten worse, but I think all, all of society has gotten worse. I think a lot of that boils down to what I view as propaganda from the media, like mainstream, what people think is normal mainstream media, I think is hate talk, like not, not legally actionable hate speech, but I just right. think it's hate. Like, it's like, I, I only pay attention so I know who's going to hate who, including me, for what reason. I don't watch it because I think there's anything constructive or useful as a citizen I can do or think about it or any good can come from it yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um, and, and along that lines, I think a lot of these things with, like, if you talk about like the Civil Rights Act or like uh, Americans with Disability Acts, mm-hmm. you know, additional protections of that, like there's been all sorts of very you know, meaningful changes in the law in a more opening and inclusive direction of giving more people rights. And there's no doubt about it. And like more means to contest situations if someone's been fired on basis of their race and so on. But with all that said, and like all that groundwork and stuff, which is still there to an extent, I think like the, the spirit, a lot of that uh, behind it is gone. And it's become more like the political landscape. It's more about 
this litmus test of like, how do I compare my race or my religion to someone else's or, or even if it's not any of those factors of like race or identity or sexuality, or if it's, if it's just like a factor of uh, this person, the other political party or, or people in a different country or whatever it is, I, I just think a lot of the function of politics is to kind of like take some concepts that used to be good things like equal or they are good things but mm -hmm. the true meaning behind them all was like equal opportunity and like treating others with compassion and stuff and then kind of taking those concepts of like race discrimination or whatever but then kind of using them for the wrong context like win some facebook debate with someone you know so yeah like i'll say i have a problem with this politician selling arms to this to Saudi Arabia or whatever, you know, like, and they use the arms for bad reasons, in my opinion, and I have a problem with that, and then get a response, like, well, it's just like a white male to say that, you know, it's just like, right. it's like okay, you know, so, you know, and it, it, but, but that, the only reason I mentioned that is not to say, oh, poor me, I'm a victim, I'm, I'm not, you know, and as a white male, like, I definitely have had it easy, you know, because of that in a lot of ways throughout my whole life, mm -hmm. but the reason why I noticed that reaction, because it happens more and more over time, right. in fact, I used it more towards like others and stuff but it's like if we sit back and say like what are we really doing here if we're talking about a subject that has nothing to do with anybody's race or religion and then it's just culturally acceptable to interject those things to like win that argument say they lose and they like that's the kind of dynamic i find a problem with and repeated observation of and this is why i try to stay away from just reading random social media because drives me crazy when you look on a perfectly normal social media post and all of a sudden it digresses into somebody bringing in something that has nothing to do with the original post but becomes this argument about politics, race, or religion. We are coming to time. So this the question of the season. Okay, I've been asking everybody this question. So if you could pinpoint a time period in your career that made a huge difference in your life or career path, um, when would that be and why? Yeah, I, that's a great question. For me, it, you know, it ties a little bit into being an employment lawyer and seeing things from that perspective, but also just, I think it could have been something that happened to me no matter what my profession or whatever. But like there's a point in time in my career where I, I knew I wanted to do employee rights law, but I, I also was in, you know, I was in a city I, I knew I didn't want to be in for long term because of my kid and so on and work environment wasn't you know, exactly what I wanted and so on. But um, that was like the first time where I was proactive with like my own destiny instead of just looking at job postings, you know, like in Appleton or Fox Valley where I wanted to move and seeing, okay, what's available there. I actually thought to myself, where do I want to work? So I knew the city. Uh, what type of law firm environment do I want to have? How many hours, you know, do I roughly want to work? Do I want to work in the type of legal practice? There's a lot of hourly billing clients, which has its own pressures and and and, and risk for clients and stuff, but also just pressures as an attorney. You got to bill a certain number of hours a year and some incentives that can sometimes go bad with that and so on. But you know, I just gave thought to like all these factors, like once I had some experience and like I knew it's generally what I wanted to do, area law, but I knew like more administratively and, and practice-wise and lifestyle-wise through experience of kind of what I wanted. So at that point, so looking at the job uh, uh, postings and so on, I, I called up someone I knew that was a, 
I got connected with, I can't remember how, but like some person that was recommended by someone else I trust that worked in the Fox Valley, where I'm from, but I just didn't really know as high school and grew up and stuff, but I didn't know any um, attorneys really at, at the time in the, in the area. So I found someone as an attorney who was recommended by someone I trust. And I just told this person like, here's, you know, here's, I was looking for a job, you know, thanks for spending your time talking to me and you know the local scene and so on, but like, here's the type of legal work I do, here's the type of law firm environment I'm looking for and the type of hours and so on and so forth. And then telling him that he recommended someone to me. He's like, like hey, uh, you know, there's there's a guy, a law firm I know, and the, the guy, you know, the first name, uh, and it was Peterson Bergen Cross in Appleton, uh, but, but it's John Peterson, you know, you refer me to like the, the first name on the law firm. He's like, you should call John. And I, I just called up John randomly, never having talked to him before. Like, hey, uh, you know, I'm an employer at in Milwaukee, and like, I'm wondering if you, you might be interested in like having someone like you work for. He's like, sure. Or he's like, oh, come on, talk, I'll interview. <laughs> like, really, like, he didn't even talk to his other partners and stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I wound up like interviewing, I think, a couple of times with, you know, all the lawyers there and stuff before I was hired. But it was just funny, like, how that worked out. And, and it was a, you know, it was a great work environment. I still, you know, interact and talk with those folks and stuff. And, uh, you know, good people, good attorneys. And, but so, it, but that was really the first job I had that I like truly, felt I chose myself and chose wisely and chose like educating myself in the right ways. But it was mainly because it was proactive on my part, you know, like you can get a, a job listing and so on, do a good job research, like talk to people that know the people. And I had done that too, you know, and gotten saved from taking a couple bad job offers, you know, in, in the past, you know, from doing that. Uh, but I think being proactive is a big part of it. Well, that's awesome. And it is, it's, it's often, about who you know and and when you decide that you're going to take you know the 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 direction or really take control of your of your destiny asking the right people getting to know the right people asking for advice um that's usually when the best things happen and that's awesome thank you for sharing that and i really appreciate you coming on and talking to me today um this has been a very educational conversation for me, um, especially, you know, talking with somebody who, who really truly is in the in the thick of, you know, a side of society and, and business and um, has a background that is way beyond my understanding, um, and you know, the legal side of things. So I, I truly thank you, Michael, for talking with me today. Oh, no problem. And thank you for having me on. Was, I really enjoyed it. And it was interesting for me as well. Well, you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.